You're listening to the Bootstrap SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Stephen Benson from Badger Maps. Steve, super happy to have you. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Let's dive right in. What problem does uh, Badger Maps solve? Well, the, the key thing that we do is our user is a field salesperson or an outside salesperson. And the key thing that we do for them is we take all their customer data, their prospect data, and we put it on a map for them. So um, in a mapping environment on their mobile device, they can make decisions about who they want to focus on, um, in what order, what's the best route, what's the schedule going to look like. We help them figure out their day, basically, and focus on the right customers. And for people that aren't familiar with what is outside sales or field sales, just think of like a medical device salesperson going to see doctors or a, you know, a tire salesman going to tire stores, you know, that, that, that sort of thing, or beer to bars, right? So, um, you know, it's uh, the, a, a person goes and meets with the decision maker, sits down, shows them the stuff. And, but they also often will meet with eight, business make, eight decision makers like that in a day, right? And so they have to decide who to focus on and in what order and what's the route going to be, that sort of stuff. Those industries always sound a bit like old school, at least because like if we look uh, from the perspective of like our tech bubble, basically, right. are those customers a bit less tech savvy or like, are they like, how easy are, are those types of people to work with? Or like, what are challenges when, when working with such industries? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's lots of industries that, that, uh, that you'll run into. And so, so field sales, it, whenever you have kind of a complex product, uh, where things need to be explained and it's, and it's expensive enough that it's worth going out and, you know, having someone drive to the, to the place and see, see the decision maker. And really that's a very wide variety of stuff, right? You don't think of, you know, tires being that expensive or beer being that important, but like if you're, if you own a bar, which beers you're carrying are important to you and, 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 uh, and and it is a big expense, right? And so it it's a it's an important decision. And so often, and, and there's a lot of money involved, right? If you're buying a whole bunch of beer for your bar, who you're buying it from, they care that you're buying it from them and not the other guy. And so it becomes worth sitting down, driving out, and having someone sit down, and not just doing a phone call or a Zoom, but like you know, showing up and sitting down with them, building the relationship, explaining things to them, that sort of thing. Um, and Sometimes it's old school industries. Sometimes it's the most advanced industries around, right? I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're buying a laser to use in, in the medical field, that was sold to the field salesperson. So that person's very tech savvy. That salesperson is very tech savvy and, and uh, you know, deals with a product that gets sold for $200,000 and it's expensive and, and it's important. People's health is on the line, you know. Um, but at the same time, you'll, you, that person needs our product the same way that someone that sells tires needs the product. And, you know, tires are not very, you know, technical or the, the person selling them maybe doesn't, isn't as familiar with technology, 
but uh, they have the same problem that they need help with from us. And so um, we we have our our customer success team needs to be uh, able to help someone who has very basic technical skills and someone who is very advanced. And the advanced people, frankly, just need a lot less help. A lot of times in the same team, we'll see a big variety of, of skill levels of technology. So you'll see, you know, and, and, and sometimes the top performers are terrible with technology, right? Like maybe it could be a, could be a tire team and the guy, there, there's a guy who's 60 years old and hardly knows how to use his iPhone, and, but he is great at selling tires and has tons of important contacts in the tire industry and he's the number one sales rep on the team. Um, and trust me, the person buying our product wants us to make sure he understands how to use it and wants to use it and is getting everything out of it. Uh, whereas the 20, you know, there's a 24 year old selling tires in the same team. And, and they're like, why are you explaining this to me? This is so obvious. <laughs> so we, we do have <laughs> yeah. to adjust what, what we're, uh, what we're helping people with and, and adjust what we're teaching people. Cause there's a, it makes there's a big sense. variety of, uh, uh, of skill level and it's not necessarily generational sometimes it is based on you know the the, the zoomers were obviously generation z they're obviously uh, they grew up with technology so they're often very familiar with it but our our app is a lot easier to use than snapchat let's put it that way <laughs> awesome. so keeping keeping the product simple the ux simple is basically i mean that's the way to build a good product anyway and i guess like extra important if you have like such a breadth in terms of variety of users Yeah, I think you want it to be intuitive, right? You want, and and that's important when you're building a product to make it so, you know, it, you don't want it just to be intuitive for someone who already knows how to use it, but onboarding is so important and, and getting people to successfully use something is so important and one of the big challenges in product. Because if you have a product that people try out and they get it and they understand it and they get the value very quickly, then they're very likely to uh, purchase. Whereas if they... Sometimes people spend a few minutes on something and they don't understand it. It's hard. They're not going to purchase. This episode is brought to you by ReactSquad.io, the boutique React agency for SaaS startups. If your front-end team is overwhelmed and you need more hands on deck, go to ReactSquad.io and get a ReactJS developer embedded in your team in less than seven days. Switching gears a bit from like building product to building the actual company. I mean, now Betcher is like 11 and a half years old. So cool. you have quite a lot of experience already under your belt. And also it's like you mentioned in another interview, which was everything recorded a couple of weeks into COVID. That COVID, of course, like hit the like field sales industry. How did you navigate? And I, the connection I would love to make, I mean, we are recording this like, mid-year 2023 so the tech recession is a thing which like kind of happened already big time no one nobody is sure how deep the thing is going to be or like if it's going up soon so i think a lot of startups are like in a not so nice situation right now so the the question is how did you navigate covid and what do you think startups that had the luck of either having like covid help them or just like being founded after COVID could navigate the potential upcoming recession now. Yeah. Um, so COVID had a huge impact on us because uh, anyone that all field salespeople were affected, right? So they, they stopped going out into the field 
most of them for just a short time. But in some places, I mean, you know, in China, people were, you know, not go, not doing this sort of thing for years, right? Whereas in and in, in in America, it was different state by state, right? The the state where I live, Utah, things are pretty much back to normal in three months. But in a state like California, where I used to live, uh, things stayed shut down for a lot longer. Uh, it was also industry by industry. Some industries were considered, uh, you know, um, essential, and so they were able to not really stop working, and you know, they just were able to navigate it. Uh, you know, if you were selling med devices to doctors, you were considered essential, and so you could keep going about your business, and you wore a mask and did the did the meeting anyway. Um, other people were able to transition to Zoom calls and that sort of thing. And we've seen them transition and then in most cases transition back to field sales over time. Um, a lot of companies did just go out of business too. A lot of our customers just kind of disappeared overnight. Uh, you know, if you were distributing beer into, you know, then all the bars were closed for six months, that was real bad. Right. So, uh, and, and usually we've seen, you know, that, that same geography needs a, beer distributor now. And so we've seen those same people come back, uh, you know, six months later, sometimes under a different company name, sometimes under the same company name. But, uh, you know, that was definitely a difficult time and, and we lost probably 40% of our customers, I'd say. And we, which is meaningful, right? I mean, we do about, I guess at the time we were probably doing like $4 million a year. I'd have to look at it, but now we're doing like 5.5, 5.6 million a year. Um, but uh, we were doing like four and so 40%, that was, that was a big chunk of our payroll. Right. But uh, so, and, and we did not do a layoff. We were able to keep everyone on staff. Um, we did do a salary reduction for probably about six months um, I spent where we reduced everyone's salaries and reduced executive salaries a bit more, but, uh, kind of just, you know, so that's, that's how we navigated that, that bump in the road. Um, this current bump in the road is not, does not seem to affect us much. Our customers are not in tech. Uh, tech does not tend to be sold with field sales. Ten, tech tends to be sold. Um, either just online um, or or with 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 an inside sales motion, inside sales team. Uh, rarely is technology sold. Uh, tech, you know, SaaS businesses for SaaS is rarely sold with a field sales team, for example. Although I think it should be. Um, there's a lot. If you if you have a, an expensive SaaS product, getting in front of your customers probably would shorten sales cycles, increase close rates, and pay for itself. Um, but, uh, but no, so the, the, this hasn't really affected us much, but I guess a lot of the lessons that we learned would be highly applicable here. I mean, a lot of the pullback here is just that the, the money that was flowing into the space is flowing in at a much lower rate, um, whether, or a much more expensive rate in the case of debt, uh, the debt prices have gone way up. The, and, and there's just a lot less, it's really, it's, it's a lot harder to do your next round. Um, and, and when you do do your next round now, the valuation is a lot lower. Um, so, you know, the way to navigate that, I think there, there, there's, there's a bunch of ways to, to think about it. I guess the it's, 
it's always going to be challenging. I think the, you know, if, if depending on your situation, if, if, if you're in a situation where you don't have a lot of revenue, but you have a lot of spend, um, it's, that's the, that's the hardest situation where you were really, you, you, you're in a, you're not in a, an organically growing business and where you're kind of bootstrapping it and you were just using a little bit of debt or some, uh, equity to, to kind of round things out. But if you're like, you know, try, if you're a quantum computing company that needs a lot of upfront capital and to, to get over the, get, get a product out the door, then you're, that's this, it's really hard if you don't raise the next round because that's where the money was going to come from. If you're a SaaS business and you've got a million dollars a year coming in the door, but you're spending 1.5, um, you know, this doesn't mean you have to go out of business. This just means you have to make the hard decisions and you have to make them. You, it's important not to make them too late because they'll be more painful if you make them too late. Right. So, uh, I think it's important to project out, well, this is how much money we think is going to come in the door. This is how much money we think we're going to spend. And therefore, this is how much money we're going to need over the next period, over this period of time. And uh, and if you can't, if you don't think you're going to be able to bring money in, then obviously you have to, you have to lower spend. And, and that's where you see a lot of the layoffs coming, coming through. Now, that's not the case with all the, the bigger, but the, the larger public companies where you're seeing the most, the, those, the large layoffs and lots of people being laid off. That's more for financial reasons and to keep the stock price up, right? Like obviously Facebook can afford to to keep the same number of employees, but it would impact their profitability to, to keep those same employees. So, um, so that's a very different situation. I think there's probably a lot of the layoffs have been more for, for those financial reasons. Um, I, from, from, at least from where I sit, it appears that they, it, the the large layoffs have not been because the companies just don't have the money. It's been more to keep the, to to maintain their profitability. But you would say in like the private market or like earlier stage, meaning like everything before like a Series C, just like tightening the belts heavily and just like looking like uh, at the honest truth, which is it's not the rosy times. Meaning hard decisions have to be made. Yeah, um, you know, for SaaS businesses. Uh, I think it's worth talking about debt as a, as a way of getting through things. Um, cause a lot of times, you know, when you're looking at a SaaS business, if it's growing at a, at a decent rate, whatever your spend is right now, it, it's, it, you know, it, it, uh, you can adjust your, you, you can kind of plan out your future, right? You can say, okay, so right now we're spending more than we're bringing in, but if we don't hire anyone else, um, or you know, then, then by this date, we're going to be bringing in enough money to cover that many people. Or you may say, well, we, there's no way the math doesn't work and we're going to need to lower expenses. And you can, you know, I, I used a sal- a temporary salary reduction during COVID and that's something you can do. That's pretty painful. Um, people, people obviously don't like that. And, and it's, uh, it's not the most popular method. Um, Obviously, it's a great time to to trim away any fat. You know, if if you know any anyone, if there's any anyone on the team that you that you you don't need, those are the first to go before the the people that you do need. Um, but uh, but if 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 a lot of bootstrap businesses, there's not a ton of uh, fat to trim away, and so 
the answer can be reducing executive pay, reducing everyone's, you know, reducing everyone's pay across the board. Um, non-performing things in marketing uh, is is always a great way to go. You know, sometimes you can cut your marketing spend by fifty percent, but your your leads only go down by ten percent because the really good sources of leads are still there, right? Um, that, and that just depends on on an individual company. Sometimes it's you know a, you got to put a dollar in and a dollar twenty five comes out with uh, with Google or other other ad platforms. But for some people, you know their their leads come from SEO and and so really most of them will keep coming in the door even if you pause that part of the business for the most part. Yeah. But I would I would love to double click on like the the debt topic basically because you're quite a savant when when it comes to using debt at least I think it's a very under discussed topic so far so yeah. just to give the context for everybody listening could you just tell a bit of like how you just a brief just like uh, description basically of how you used uh, debt to grow better because in the in the end I think it's overly useful compared to how little talk is about using debt as a tool in the toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and I've, I've been using debt since I, I probably did my first round of debt in like 2015. So the, so like three years after founding the company roughly. Yeah. And the key thing with debt is you have to have revenue. Like if you, if you're not, if, if you're making, a hundred grand a year, no one's going to give you very much debt, right? It, if but once you're making a half million bucks a year, you know now you, you can go out and raise 150 grand in debt, right? So, and I'm, and I'm not sure what the exact ratio is, but it's probably around 40% of your ARR you can you can do as a debt deal. Um, so if you're making a million dollars, you can you can get four hundred thousand dollars in debt. It's different for different debt providers and, and you have access to different debt providers as you grow. And that's kind of a function of their risk tolerance. So there's, there's companies that will loan to very small SaaS businesses and, and it's all specialty SaaS lenders. The problem with SaaS and debt is that a lot of traditional lenders want, they want an asset they want they they want uh, something to take if you don't if you don't pay them back right that gives them a lot of protection so like you know the so classic machines w- material exactly the classic way to think about it is like sure it's, it's you can get a a pretty cheap mortgage on a home but that's because they can take the home back right so they they they've got that that physical thing that is worth something. The challenge with SaaS is if your revenue drops because a competitor starts really beating you or because your software breaks or whatever it is, there's nothing for them to take. You know, like there's even, even at our size at, at five and a half million bucks a year, I don't have anything, right? Like I sit in this chair, I have a computer, like there's, there's not a lot of stuff around to take, right? And it's certainly not worth anything. So. Um, whereas if you were running a restaurant that was making $5.5 million a year, you're going to have a bunch of stoves. You're going to have, you know, a bunch of equipment that's useful for other restaurants. There's physical assets to take, right? Collateral, they call it. But anyway, that's the challenge with a small SaaS business or a large SaaS business. There's not really a lot of stuff. There's no collateral. 
uh, so, so it's a relatively risky investment. And so a lot of the traditional providers either don't want to, or because of laws are not allowed to, like banks are pretty regulated on what they can make loans to. So they won't even be allowed to make uh, loans. And so you have to go to more expensive debt providers. And uh, what is expensive? If you say expensive, what's like the rough percentage rate that they are going to take? Well, so, and this is different in Europe versus America, I think, but in America, consumers are really very, there's a lot of laws around what you, what the maximum amount you can charge to a, to a consumer in America, there's fewer laws like that, I think, uh, for, for businesses. So, you know, a, a business loan can be usury, right? It can be very, very expensive, uh, or, or they can be relatively inexpensive. So they, Uh, you know, a, a SaaS loan can be anywhere from uh, 12% to 40%, depending on the size of the company, the risk, who's making the loan. Um, I have found that the, the cheapest lenders are, um, until you can get bank debt, right, which, you know, really bank debt without really egregious or really bad terms um, I, I, it doesn't appear to be available to SaaS companies until you're at about 10 million. I have seen a few banks that will make loans at, at, at a lower amount than that. Um, like, but, but I've never done a deal with them because they've always had really, uh, really bad terms in there. They talk, they call them, uh, uh, there's, it's like a gotcha basically. Like they, they, they call them covenants but some of the covenants can really be, be bad. Um, so like one, one put a covenant in there when I was talking with them that we would, if we had to grow at least 15% a year or else we owed all the money back right away. So we had to pay them back immediately, which is problematic because we won't, we, we don't have the money. We, we get the money, the money comes in monthly. So like if, if there's, if for any reason they could call the whole loan back, it could, it could kill the business. Right. So it's it was way too risky to do a, a, a deal like that, um, and other covenants can just you know they the covenants are basically just rules like they're like hey we're giving you money but if this happens you have to pay us back faster like if your growth slows or if your uh, you know if your MRR doesn't grow by at least this much then this happens or or you could you could there could be a liquidity covenant that meaning you have to keep a certain amount of money in the bank the whole time. So if, which makes the whole loan a lot more expensive and effectively lowers their risk a lot. So like if I gave you a million bucks and said, here's a million bucks, but you always have to have a half million bucks in the bank at all times. You can, it can never go be below a half million or else you owe me all the money back. Then really I've only loaned you a half million dollars, but you're paying interest on the whole million. Um, yeah. So there's, there's little gotchas like that, that you have to watch out for. And, and, uh, I, I have never seen a non SAS lender and, and, and SAS lenders, meaning they, they're the whole point of their fund is to loan to SAS businesses. Uh, I've never seen a SAS, a non SAS lender be competitive with the SAS lenders unless they have some gotcha covenant in there that makes it really just a bad deal. Yeah. So for, for, to, to be a bit tactical for people like who think about using it, let's say they're like at a million ARR between like one and like five, basically, 
be, besides those covenants, what else would you look at? Well, like you just imagine you've never done a debt deal. You need cash to grow, but you don't want to, like, I mean, it's like a podcast, a bit about bootstrapping. So you ideally don't want to give up equity. Like what are specific things you would look after? Like specific providers, like, I don't know, a founder path might be a good choice or, or saying, hey, only between like 10 and 20% of interest. Otherwise, it's hard to get a return on it. Like, what would be like the two or three main things to look after for like a complete, complete debt newbie, basically? Well, I, I guess the important, the, the, the fundamentals of debt, just from a business perspective, is you need to be able to make investments that pay back at a faster, at a higher rate than the debt, or else it's a bad idea. So, is a 20% loan a bad idea? Well, it's certainly expensive, but, um, if if you have if you can spend that money on things that's going to pay back at a forty percent a year from day one, then it's not expensive. It's a good deal, right? It's a good idea for you to do it, even though it is expensive. Um, but I guess the thing to think uh, it's important to think about the how long it's going to take from when you get the money to start getting a payback, right? So if if the thing that you're going to be spending money on is more engineering, for example, which is often the case here, um, there's a there's a longer payback on. You have to think about the whole payback, and it's longer than you might think because you have to, you know, you get the money. Now you know you can hire five more engineers. Let's just say, so you got the money, and you're like, okay, I'm going to hire my five more engineers. It takes you four months to hire the, on average, the five the five more engineers. And then it takes them three months to get up and running and really be pushing code effectively. And then it takes them another six months to build a feature that is useful, that you could helps you sell more stuff. And then you have to actually go through the sales cycle of selling the more stuff. And let's just say that takes six months. You're already a year and a half out in like the best case scenario, right? So now it starts paying back at that point it has to be paying back in a pretty meaningful way to uh, to get over that 20%. So when the debt's expensive, you have to really have good investments to make. Now, it's different if the investment that you are going to make is like, hey, I've, I've run experiments. And um, if I put you know $10,000 into Facebook, I get $20,000 out the next month, but I just, I don't have, and, and, and that would scale to $20,000. If I just had $10,000 more a month, I could do that that's going to be a very fast payback, right? So like from, if you borrowed $50,000 and started putting $10,000 more in a month, it's going to pay back right away, right? So some, so, so the, the, how long it takes for your investment to pay back uh, and how much it pay, how, how well it's going to pay back are two of the most important things to think about when you're thinking about, should I make this investment? Should I take debt to do this? So do you um, think if, if you're like a debt rookie that you should, be like closer to the money, meaning preferably invest in like sales or marketing because they, those like tend to be just like closer to to cash flow. I, I I wouldn't say that if you're not that if you're a rookie you shouldn't make investments in engineering, but um, it just does have a longer payback, and and so you want to make sure that the debt match the debt term matches the payback, right? So if you if you're doing something that is going to take a year and a half to pay back. It's a real bad idea to get debt that's got a twelve month term on it, right? Because 
you're going to, from day one, you have to pay back the debt, but the money's not going to start flowing in from the investment until month 18. So uh, it's important to match the duration of the loan because there's year, there's year long loans, there's two year loans, there's three year loans, there's four year loans. Um, I think for SaaS companies, three years is about as short as you can go. And, and a lot of the SA, a lot of the debt providers do much shorter terms than that, but there just aren't that many investments that you can make that pay back in time. Um, so I guess, you know, there, it's important to think about what you're using the money for. Are you trying to bridge to your next round? Are you sure you're going to get that next round? Are you trying to bridge till you, you've got your big annual check coming in from this big customer and you just need extra money to make payroll for the next six months? That's different than, that's a different situation than if you're, you're like, okay, well, I, I need to build this new feature and I'll sell this, I'll, I'll sell an extra $200,000 a year if I could get this feature. And I know that I will because this customer's already said they'd pay for it and these guys are interested and these guys are interested. So uh, I want to make this investment now. Um, but, oh, that's going to take, you know, 18 months to build. Probably it's actually going to take two years to build because things always take longer than you think. So you really, you, you have to make sure that that debt is, you know, a long enough term that the, that the cash flows match up. Um, and the, uh, most of the SaaS specific lenders tend to be three years or more. So I've, I've done debt deals with, uh, lighter capital. I've done one with Scaleworks. Today they're called element finance. And I've done one with, with founder path. Um, I'm currently, my my debt my debt provider is currently Founder Path, and I think they do, they do a real good job. Well, all three of those companies do a really good job, and there's there's a handful of others that are, but they're all SaaS specific, SaaS focused lenders, um, and uh, and I think the so they're they're not going to put those types of covenants in place that some of the some of the more uh, aggressive lenders will put in place. And their their rates are all pretty competitive. The rates are pretty expensive right now because the interest rates, you know, for the whole economy have have gone up. Obviously, so they're more expensive than they used to be. So you have to make sure you have a, a an investment that's going to pay back and and pay back in a, over the time period that makes sense. Um, and there's some terms to watch out for. I guess you asked about what are the risks, like the you want to make sure there's no penalties or or fees for paying off the loan early because paying off the loan early doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I just got a whole bunch of money. I want to pay off my loan. It also means I found a better debt provider and you know maybe the interest rates go down in, a, in six months. And then you were with one provider and another provider's like, hey, well, I'll give you 4% less than that provider. You want to be able to make that change without any kind of penalty. And a lot of the provide a lot of the debt providers will put in penalties because they don't want to lose you as a customer, right? Uh, so they'll put a penalty in for you to withdraw early. Um, so you want to, but that's that you can generally negotiate that sort of thing out. But that allows you to move your money, move your debt from provider to provider. And and like I said, I've I've moved my debt around three times um, over the years, and it was always for you know a a, a better rate or um, more money. Uh, Etc. Do you feel like that is 
like basically like a major growth uh, lever in a way or like how did you like what's the strategic reason for using that i mean sure if you're venture backed and you just need the extra runway to not die that's one thing but i would guess that you're like not in that situation so on your march to 10 million arr basically from which strategic perspective do you look at that is it more of a, just like putting like basically like being there faster or how do you look at it yeah i mean having more money allows you to make investments that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do so if you're making a million dollars a year and you're thinking about you know and you see investments that you could make that you can't currently make because you don't have the money for it right uh, maybe those investments are uh, in marketing or sales or engineering um, but you're like, hey, this is worth me. This would be a really good idea for me to do. I think it's worth about this much. I think it's going to cost about this much. That can be, a, you, you, things cost money, right? And so you could raise equity at that point, or you could, if you can get debt and push out when you're raising equity, that can be really good because, so you can use them together. It's not either or necessarily, but you can, if you can raise that, if you're making a million bucks and you raise 400,000, um, maybe that gets you an extra eight months before you have to raise equity. And now you're, now you're, you know, making $300,000 more. And so your valuation just went up by, uh, you know, I don't know, $2 million or so. Right? So basically so, avoiding, avoiding dilution or just like increasing the equity value in a way. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're eight months later, you're, 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 you are worth more money. And, and so you either they're going to give you more money for the same percentage of the company, or you can sell less of the company for the same amount of money. Or if you're not raising equity, you can take that money and invest it in, in that thing. Um, you know, I'd say for me, debt has allowed me to always have more engineers, right? So when I first, the first debt deal I did was like, I think I was making about $400,000 a year and I got a I got a loan from Lighter Capital for a hundred and thirty-ish thousand dollars, and that allowed me to hire a couple more engineers, right? And then as we 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 grew more, um, uh, we were able to do more debt and hire more engineers, and our revenue went up. And you know, so it, debt's always kind of been there to allow me to do a little bit more. At some point, uh, you have to stop adding more debt and and uh, and 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 start and, and so you can spend a little less because you're you're paying them off, but sometimes you're just able to keep refinancing that debt and getting cheaper deals in the debt because as you're bigger, you're less risky, right? Uh, big companies get fairly inexpensive debt, right? They get debt from banks, and uh, if you're Coca-Cola, you get a debt from a bank, and it's and it's a way of levering up the company, right? So you can either pay the debt back or you can just keep getting more debt at a better and better deal as you grow. Um, but it always allows you to spend a little bit more uh, or sell a little bit less of the company for equity. Love this because I really think that basically like financial engineering or things you might be used to if you would have been in different industries really like a thing. Basically, no one talks talks about. So I I really love that. I mean, overall, Steve, thanks a ton for coming on. 
was a, was yeah. a pleasure to get to know you and to chat. Yeah, happy to happy to share this stuff uh, with people. It's always good to good to give back a little, you know. If you like this episode, you will love our newsletter, The SAS Operator by Early Note. Get actionable insights from SAS veterans like Patrick Campbell, Christoph Jans, and Corey Haynes right into your inbox. Your five minute read every Tuesday for free. Go to earlynote.com and subscribe for free.